0: Hold on to your butt. I'm, of course, surprised that a story had such an immediate and profound effect upon radio listeners. Hooey pleases the boobs a great deal more than sense. Whoa, it's us! We're in a lot of trouble!
1: Well, welcome to another edition of the Joey Clark Radio Hour. Where to begin, where to begin, where to begin? Well, first, Southern Wood is here.
2: Uh, Uh, Southern Slats. Southern Slats? (laughs) You've changed your name to Southern Slats? Yeah, again. I think every time I come on, I'm coming up with a new nickname.
1: Well, it's probably wise, by the way, just to begin the show, that the President of the United States, Donald J. Trump, changed his mind about concrete walls because this glorious clip i mean folks leave the politics out of it donald trump president or not but because he's president just he's the gift that keeps on giving in terms of irony. And you can go back and find clips that are just hilarious. So it's good that
2: Trump... I may know the one you're fixing to play.
1: It's good that he changed his mind on a concrete wall now wants a steel slat barrier. Because this is what Trump said in 2004.
0: Never, ever give up. Right. Don't give up. Don't give up. Don't allow it to happen. Right. That's right, senor. If there's a concrete wall in front
2: of you, see. go through it. Go over it. Go around it. But get to the other side of that wall. <laughs> <laughs> I knew that's what you were going to play. It's
1: so funny. <laughs> With the wall, is such a high-profile deal right now. A, a political symbol in the usual fight for power. And yes, folks, that's kind of the theme tonight. That we have to... Keep in mind that the stuff you see online, the stuff you see on that tube on that television that really doesn't have any tubes anymore, the stuff you see from our politicians, you have to remember that it's not often truth. And the truth is rarely pure and never simple. And that as much as the politicians claim we need this, we need that, I'm telling the truth and he's lying, at the end of the day... Here's the actual business of politics. Keeping your job, keeping
2: your power, or winning it. Where Trump bucks that system is he does not engage in the political correctness, though. I sent a text, Mm -hmm. a mutual friend of ours, mutual friend of ours, I I sent a text. I could read it verbatim, but I I know what I typed out to him, I said, you are no longer, no, I said, you have been dethroned Okay. as the king of hyperbole. And he sent a response back, what are you talking about? I said, apparently you're not listening to Donald Trump.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: He's like, what did he say this time? Oh, Lord. And in his press conference today, Donald Trump says... You know, they said you can't have a wall. Mm -hmm. A wall is medieval. (laughs) When I was walking in today, I walked by a bunch of cars. (laughs) They had wheels on them. And not just any car... These were very expensive cars. <laughs> and believe me, I know. Yeah. I know yeah. they are very expensive. Right, right. They all had wheels.
1: Your pretty good. The
2: wheel is older than the wall. <laughs> <laughs> so I guess we all are being transported on something medieval. My goodness. And when he said that, I, it, I just, I almost ran off the road. I got so tickled. He's equating... <laughs> The invention of the wheel, because I'm pretty sure the wheel probably became, it it probably came after people had walls. They like built structures to live in before they created the wheel. I don't know. Yeah, maybe he's
1: right. I don't think the wall or the wheel is medieval. I think the wall or the wheel is before (laughs) that. I think it might be biblical, you know? My goodness. It's just, but this is what I mean by the arguments up there. It, they are arguments, they are point scoring, they are... Tre- we had a guy on these airwaves earlier today, a man who's held public office for a while now, as treasurer for the great state of Alabama, with the
2: greatest name in politics ever. Young the, Boozer. The most stolen uh, campaign sign in the history of politics. Mm-hmm. Great name. Young Boozer. Every every frat house has a sign.
1: Because they're all full of... Those dens of sin. All full of Young Boozers corrupting the daughters of the nation. Yeah. At least that's what the fire and brimstone preacher said on the Auburn campus. Anyway, Young Boozer was on these airwaves. And he talked to... You know, did an exit interview talking about what he was able to accomplish in his several years as treasurer for the great state of Alabama. But... He ended the interview. I'm going to invite him on the show. said, I'd love to flesh this out from his point of view. But he ended his time on these airways recently talking about a letter to the editor he wrote to his old alumni magazine, Stanford. And the question being asked is, why are we so polarized in this country, politically speaking? And it had a group of professors kind of in the center, but center left, center right, whatever. But he wrote this letter and he shared his thoughts with us, I believe yesterday. And it was freaking brilliant. It's what I've been trying to say for years. Is that politics and the polarization of our politics is not about right versus left. That's not really what it's about at the end of the day. Because you could take out And insert any other ideology, if you like. It's about power and winning or maintaining power. And it's also about our social media celebrity culture that rewards a show and some form of entertainment. Now, entertainment doesn't always have to be ha-ha. Entertainment doesn't always have to be, you know, the hilarity of talking about the medieval nature of walls and wheels, (laughs) It can sometimes be entertainment that pisses
2: you off. Yeah, yeah. And if you really think about it... Or even scares you. I mean, people love horror movies. That's entertainment. So put the two together.
1: If the main goal of politics is winning and maintaining or keeping power, and what is now being rewarded in society is entertainment, really. In order to keep people's attention... Yes, yes. And again, it can be entertainment that creeps you out. It can be entertainment that pisses you off. It can be entertainment that makes you laugh or makes you cry. Entertainment comes in. There's a reason tragedies are entertainment. It's catharsis. Sure. And that's what. How many times have you seen a politician use tragedy? Both sides. Trump is using tragedies to make his point. And it's not like he's just using them cynically. Maybe or maybe not. But I think he really is sad for the. Officer Singh, and Officer Singh's brother. Today, he had him right next to him. Sure. I think he really does feel for a lot of families that have been victims of crime, and the worst crimes. I I get that, but, I mean, we're hearing now about the government shutdown. People, they can't, you know, get a loan from Housing and Urban Development to fix their water heater, and they can't take out that loan from the Federal Housing Authority in order to get that house that they wanted. And things are slowing down. Now our food isn't being inspected. Oh, my God. Yeah.
2: Right. And I'm how many how many how many E. coli breakouts have we had from spinach while it was being expected? <laughs> yeah. Did they not just pull all the romaine lettuce off of well, that's every what shelf you get in... for eating lettuce. Romaine lettuce in particular. I'm just saying okay. we're not
1: rabbits, ladies and gentlemen. Stop eating lettuce. I mean, I'm not saying I'm not knocking vegetables. <clears throat> eat green beans, eat broccoli, eat squash. Lettuce. Leave
2: the lettuce alone to the rabbits. That's not technically, according to Dr. Four over here, that is not technically a vegetable. Lettuce is a filler, Mm. it is a way to transport bacon and salad dressing into your mouth. Thank you. That's what lettuce is for. But yes,
1: there's this huge outbreak when the FDA was fully funded in inspecting manufacturers. I believe that's what they mostly do food manufacturers. So. It's just using tragedy, using crisis, it's all very entertaining. It's the greatest show on earth, folks. You know, George Carlin talked about a few of us, a select few, get to sneak in or receive a ticket to the freak show. And an even more select few, the very elite. And it's good to be elite. Sorry, populist. I like being an elitist. A very select few get front row seats to the freak show, and they're told to document it. And that, I think, is the role of the most skilled and talented artists or commentators, writers. People that don't just play into what you already think. People that don't stir you up just to stir you up of people that are sort of looking at the world with their own perspective and saying, hmm, I thought we all believed in these certain ideals, life, liberty, the pursuit of happiness, justice for all basic human dignity, and I'm watching you freaks right now. We're not doing that. I was just, before getting on air here, reading a speech that I kind of disagree with, JFK. He was bringing in Robert Frost as the first poet laureate, national poet laureate. And he gave this great speech about how poetry serves us to understand the use of power. And there's one section, I don't have it pulled up so I have to paraphrase it, that JFK in his original notes actually marked out. He didn't speak it the day of the event, but he had written it down. Where he says, we take great pride in our nuclear stockpile, and in our industry, and in our mince material capabilities... But poetry reminds you how to use that power. Are you using it for aggrandizement, or are you using it for liberation? And he goes on, I think, to quote Shakespeare, It's one thing and a great thing to be a giant, just don't behave like a giant. I thought that was uh, quite well put. So I'm sitting here... It is
2: very well put.
1: And I'm sitting here thinking about Kennedy, but I think Kennedy makes a mistake, because he was all... JFK was all for because he was passionate about it. He was a great writer himself and order himself about funding the arts through the government and he also goes on in the speech to talk about how art is never propaganda and I'm like, that's where you messed up, Jack.
2: Yeah, I think, I think maybe Kennedy was a little too idealistic yes. in, in certain yes. ways. He had great economic well, policies. Some might say it's what got him killed. And well, it very well could. I don't want to get into. We'll uh, leave that for clearing the air. Terry Adams, seven thirty at seven thirty <laughs> exactly. But uh, but I, I I tell you what, it would be hard to really argue with it if you have an open mind and think about that he was not killed on purpose, right? And the uh, but but as as politics go, talking about this shutdown, one thing that that popped in my mind. So I don't even know what you said exactly, hmm. but. Do you think that maybe with all the shutdowns we've had over the last 15 years, that they may have cried wolf one too many times? I mean, really? I know if if you don't get a check Friday, you're going to be really distressed. Yeah. You're going to be pissed off. Sure. But As you should be. They've done it. I mean, at least 15 times over the last 10 or 12 years. And at some point, I remember the first time it came up, it was like, oh, my God, the government shut down. What are we going to do? And then everything seems to keep going like it's going. And and, uh, what are you going to do? Well, I'm learning. I, I really think it's the boy that cried wolf. And somebody finally had the... You know, cojones to call them out and say, no, I'm going to get what I want. Right. And if I don't, then, yeah, let it stay shut down. Well, and uh, this is the nature of our government,
1: as you put very well in the last 15, 20 years. And by the way, yes, Ken, Ken R, is uh, messaging me. Was it not Robert Faust who wrote Good Fences Make Good Neighbors? Yes, yes, indeed. It was. But Kennedy makes a mistake. His whole idea is celebrating Robert Frost, celebrating... And I agree completely. There's this great lecture from Christopher Hitchens. and I'm sorry to keep name-dropping, but it's a great lecture where it's the old cliche, the pen is mightier than the sword. Well, in an actual fight, you probably want a sword over a pen. In an actual war, you probably want those nuclear stockpiles or amazing immense missile capabilities and aircraft
2: capabilities and artillery and whatever you need however lasers too lasers ha- however nice. the pen is mightier than the sword we right. we could we could say it this way in the age we are in now the video or the audio is mightier than the sword well, cuz if you can change enough people's minds amen. to make them think something, or bring them over, not even just make them, coerce them to come over to your way of thinking, you can get everybody to agree, yes, you know what? Little Timmy should have a trophy. He sucks at, at, at baseball, but by God, he had a uniform on, and he came to almost all the practices, and and he he tried as good as a little Timmy could, so he deserves the same trophy as Mac does. And that's one of the things. Batted people people been seven fifty, right? Because
1: people have been convinced they their minds have been changed by pulling at their hearts that that causes suffering, undue harm, and everybody should get some sort of token reward. But the, the idea is. That, yeah, somebody might have a thousand tank army. But if you can imagine that the operator of that tank has heard an incredible song that calls for freedom or a great poem before he goes and operates. And he starts to think about what his life is actually about. Maybe Shake It Off by Taylor Swift. <laughs> yeah, actually, <laughs> imagine if you grew up in Soviet Russia and you've never really had access to the what? No, in modern day North Korea, you as a normal subject of Kim Jong un, the Kim dynasty, have never really tasted the fruits of freedom that we have in other parts of the world. Yeah, yeah something as silly as Taylor Swift shake it off. Yeah, don't fight, man. Just shake right. it off. Just shake it off. Something as silly as that. But. The fight is always over our minds. The fight is always over the heart. But when the government subsidizes art, it doesn't set you free. It's not that simple. And when the government is now doing things that require 800,000 people now to go without paychecks, it doesn't set you free. It makes you dependent. They are the source of your income, and how does the government get its income? Oh, by legally stealing
2: it from other people. Lawfully, I wouldn't even say legally. Lawfully, Lawfully yeah. stealing it from you and I. And don't even get me wrong. my freaking children. And don't get me wrong. Oh yeah, don't get
1: me wrong. There are. Uh, I don't even have kids yet. They're stealing from mine that I hopefully will have because of the amount of debt we're running. Out. Oh sure. So it doesn't make us free. You might be so passionate. It might even be good things. Yeah, there should be inspections on food. But you're telling me that especially major corporations, private food manufacturers, if it was found out that their products were sullied or poisoned or something like that, they would have a class action lawsuit on their tail, a huge one.
2: They would have to pay out a huge fee, and it would probably harm the business, sometimes irreparably. Oh, and, and Joey, now this this is this is going to sound absolutely stupid and mm-hmm. crazy. It, you know, when you buy a food product, any type of fresh food, it has USDA on it somewhere. USDA inspected. Which, A, number one, let you in on a little secret, all of it ain't inspected. Right. They grab samples here and there. Right. What if you had an option of... Brand X steak hmm. uninspected or Joey sirloin steaks inspected by approved uh you know inspection service. Yes, folks, which, check out Joey's Sirloin. Which which sirloin are you gonna buy? Go are you ahead. gonna buy brand X non inspected? Or if that matters to you, would you maybe say, well, at least somebody's Kind of keeping an eye on Joey's sirloin, and so I'm gonna get his sirloin or his shank steak, whichever Mm. steak you decide to get. That it's almost like people have a incentive and and generally
1: don't want to poison their customers, especially in something like food. Sure, right?
2: (laughs) Unless you're Chipotle. I mean, obviously, they just really don't give a crap. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, it's every six months. As I'm watching
1: this shutdown, and it brings me back to this idea of art being funded by the government. It leads to art being used as propaganda. And when big corporations get in bed with big government, the information that we receive from so-called news networks is probably
2: also propaganda. Yeah, and, and I get, and especially with the arts, I think, and, and I don't know if this, if that was a causation of it, if if government funding, it, it, some of it was, it, it had to at least thought. lend to it, but it definitely it, lends to. We've it. We've become such a nation of dullards. What passes for art now is ridiculous. Well. I mean, when you look and you know at the in the past the great ones i mean the mona lisa let's take mm-hmm. the one everybody knows of nobody subsidized him to I mean, da vinci did not get money from the government to do anything he did hmm. he just did it because he was inspired and that's what he did and you know when the government starts paying you then you're forced To produce a product. You cannot just through inspiration. You know how it is. You're a writer. Mm-hmm. You write a bunch. And you know how they call it, what, writer's block. Sometimes you just don't have anything. Right. But if somebody's paying you, Joey, you've got to put out you know an essay once a week. Even when you don't have anything, you know what you're going to do? You're going to reach up in your butt and you're going to just pull something out and you're going to throw it down on paper and you're going to grab a bunch of old crap that you did and blend it in together and make something that sounds nice and looks great but there's not going to be any inspiration behind it art is about seeing the product but feeling the inspiration sure. that was behind it right i mean mona lisa is a common looking woman but there's something special about that painting right there's a realism it, to it it it's be, it is even beyond that you have an emotional attachment yeah. when you see it now now the handiwork magnificent, perfect, I mean it's a great, but I mean if they painted a picture of you or me, people would say okay, picture of a dude but there's something about, you know the eyes and all that, there's an emotional attachment and somehow you're able to put that into that painting or into a piece of poetry Uh, think about some of the poems that we read, I mean, they're just they're magnificent, and you get just so in deeply involved. It's not just a good story; it's the way that the words are tied together, and you can't force that. That's something that comes from an internal inspiration, right? And when you're being forced, well, and it's through the fact that your livelihood is based on you putting it out, it's not going to be as good. That's why. Why do you think all the movies are redos now? Oh, right. Because you're being forced, you're not inventing I, I, a Marvel I character.
1: I tend to agree, though, I would say that it is possible, whether you're getting paid by Marvel or Fox or whatever, Warner Brothers or the federal government, a big grant, it's possible that somebody that is getting that money can make something glorious and
2: remarkable.
1: Sure, they can, yes. I think, yes, sometimes under duress, uh, it, that's not the best situation for innovation and creativity, though sometimes people that... Some of the greatest art comes out of like people who are in a very difficult situation. But what I'm worried about is about... Circling back to what we talked about earlier, is everything's becoming entertainment now. Even our most serious institutions. It's becoming less and less serious, more and more gaga. To where we even have the President of the United States talking about wheels and walls. It, the blame's not... Who do I blame for the government shutdown? Everybody in the government making decisions. All of I them. blame Trump, Pelosi, Schumer. That's who I blame. Because y'all are the one in power. Come up with something. And I know there are reasons. And you can pick a side of who has who's on the side of the right. Fine. But for the time being... The government shut down because they have not come to an agreement. That's just a fact. It's a simple
2: fact. The most immediate people to blame for the shutdown is the previous Congress because they did not pass a budget. Yes, We have been operating In for, what Congress? is this, Not 18, 10 years yeah. on continuing resolutions. Oh, yeah, that too. Quick civics lessons. If you pass a budget, when Congress intervenes... You pass a budget, president signs it, that pays for everything for a year. Nothing is paid for. It's continuing a resolution based off of two thousand and what, freaking eight Mm -hmm. now? And and they're just they're postponing if they would do their job, if they had done their job last January when everybody was sworn in with a what Congress? Republican majority. What Senate? Republican Majority Senate. Mm-hmm. What President? Republican. You blame your Republicans for not getting a freaking budget pass last year. We wouldn't be going through any of this crap right now. Yeah. Period. But they don't. They hold on to one little issue. Because. One little item. Well, because. As I... Said earlier. To get reelected.
1: It's to get reelected is the main point of politics, not to actually get things done. And I know this is sad. It's a cynical fact. But that's how it's worked for the longest time. Even the so called good old days, that's how it still worked. So I started thinking, and uh, our boss here, the buttery one, is
0: Mr.
1: Mayor. Peters. Yes. He reminded me of a movie I love dearly. Dumb and Dumber. No, not th- I do love that movie, but that is one of the greatest movies ever. It's not that movie. No, it was a movie, I believe, from nineteen seventy six. Directed by Sid Sidney Lumet. And it's called Network. Yes. Remember that movie?
2: Yes. Yes.
1: You know, the whole, I'm mad as hell, I'm not going to take gonna it anymore. I'm not going to take it
2: anymore. That movie is was more prophetic than it knew. Tell, tell the listeners a little bit about, well, if they don't know the movie, tell them just the basic I plot think Howard Beale's on
1: a, a third-rate network, and he's about to be fired. He's going nuts it's been a little while since I've seen it, but he's about to be fired, going nuts. So he says to the audience on his talk show, and this is supposed to be a straight news show, uh, tomorrow I'm going to kill myself on air, or something to that effect. He starts cursing on air, all this stuff. And he thinks, saying this, he's going to be fired. This is where it comes back to the entertainment. Side. And everybody loved it. It gets an incredible rating. So they let him go back on air and back on air. And him being the crazy man doing the mad as hell speech, it's very popular. He becomes the mad prophet of our age, or of his age. Calling out and skewering the hypocrisies and lies of his age. Expressing the anger and resentment of the people. And trying to reinstill some passion ...into democracy against the great corporate interest and the government. Well, isn't that interesting? Yeah. Because it kind of sounds like where our politics is today, right or left, for the most part.
2: And as as people started saying, yeah, 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 he went further and further and further, got more bombastic and over-the-top with his statement. Right, and so what is the actual lesson of that movie, in my humble opinion
1: is not that we all need to get mad as hell and not take it anymore. In fact, us getting mad as hell, not taking anymore, and talk show hosts like myself, though I'm not that influential by any means. Thank God. <laughs> but talk show hosts on, especially the national media, as they become more bombastic and the people become more angry and they find some scapegoat to blame for their troubles in life, sometimes it is a legitimate blame. They actually are only playing into the system they're rebelling against.
2: Yeah, and see, you do, and I I know you're being modest, but you're right. Where you are right now, you pretty much have the freedom to say whatever Joey wants to say. You can be Joey. I I am myself. I do hold back some. Now, once you become like a Laura Ingram or a a Rush Limbaugh, and you got Snapple chunking you... $12 Twelve million dollars a year to punch their product. Right. If Snapple calls up and says, "Hello, this is Joey. Uh, this is Snapple. Uh, we heard what you said last night. Uh, don't ever say that again. Right. Unless you want to lose your twelve million dollars. Right. Uh, uh, okay, Mister Snapple. Uh, I'll. Uh, I won't. I won't mention that again. I mean, what? What are you gonna do? I mean, you're right. almost. You kind of back yourself in the corner. Unless you're just going to say, screw you, Snapple. I don't, I don't want you to advertise with me. If, if you don't like what, you know, Sherry's berries can kiss my rear end right. if, if you don't like what I'm saying. And and but then here's the, thing, the, the networks come and say, uh, uh, Mr. Joey, um, we're not going to carry your show anymore because <laughs> we just lost $14 million yeah. worth of advertising. But you know
1: where they will carry your show? And this is the ironic message of network and I think it's the irony of a lot of American populism on the left and the right, currently, is that, say, the sponsor is Snapple, and I say GD Snapple. Snapple's the worst. They, they're terrible. But you know what I'm doing? I, I'm continuing to say Snapple. Snapple, 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 Snapple. <laughs> T. In fact, I saw a great promo from SmackDown this week. It opens up with Daniel Bryan, the new Daniel Bryan, who's turned heel bad guy. He's a WWE champ and he's talking bad. He's like, you people, you people out there, you come and you buy this cheap crap and you drink your beers and your nitrate-full hot dogs, and oh, and and you're going to buy all the apparel, all the merchandise, stuff you don't need to make your life and that empty void in your life feel better, including the apparel of my opponent, AJ Styles. Oh, look at this on the merchandise table. This is a pair of his gloves right here. What? Y'all are gonna go and buy these? You're gonna go and buy these? You people are sad. You need an actual cause, not this cheap crap and bad fast food. I'm trying to save the planet and save you. It's a brilliant bad guy turn. It's also brilliant marketing, because even though people are now booing Daniel Bryan, it's also that was a great, great commercial for AJ Styles gloves. <laughs> Those are yeah. cool looking gloves. And that's what the media will do. Even if it looks like you're damning a certain company, it's probably good for their business. How? It depends on who's doing it. It depends. It, the system finds a way to take whatever shock to it and make
2: it work for itself. And, and I'm not blaming Chick-fil-A. I really, in my heart of hearts, think that Chick-fil-A is... because. The fruits of their stores. They are a great organization. Yes, I agree. What happened when they attacked the CEO? Of, oh, I mean that was one hundred percent negative. Right. When they attacked the CEO of here's. And the, they, Every, they survived. They were, Everybody wouldn't patronize no, them. They didn't just survive, Joey. The next they, day, there thrived. were lines. They thrived. I, I remember around that. Around the day. corner. I was on their way. Everybody that day. go to Chick fil A. It was
1: flight. incredible. Everybody go. It was incredible. But it's not just business and advertisers. I think the deep state is going to survive the populist uprising, whether it's Donald Trump continues to win with his agenda. And win so much you get tired of winning, or whether Bernie or Alexander Acosta Cortez or some asset on the left wins with their populism. I think the deep state in the system will survive because we're not actually chopping at the root. And more about that. Mm-mm. More about that after this break.
0: Joey Clark. Joey Clark.
1: You know, Southern wood or southern steel slats southern slats 80, 80 slats 80 slats yeah whatever clay we we changed at the break <laughs> you know i start off the show with a pretty over-the-top introduction and one part of it is from network what well, was us we're in a lot of trouble i think it's in this speech right here
0: George Ruddy died today. Edward George Ruddy was the chairman of the board of the Union Broadcasting Systems, and he died at eleven o'clock this morning of a heart condition. And woe is us—we're in a lot of trouble. Yeah, that's what it's from. So, a rich little man with white hair dies.
1: He's so good. He's so charismatic. What has that
0: got to do with the price of rice? Right. So compelling. And why is that woe to us? Because you people and 62 million other Americans are listening to me right now. Because less than 3% of you people read books. It's true. Probably worse. Because though. less than 15% of you read newspapers. Mm-hmm. Because the only truth you know is what you get over this tube. Right now, there is a whole, an entire generation that never knew anything that didn't come out of this tube. Mm-hmm. This tube is the gospel, the ultimate revelation. This tube can make or break presidents, popes, prime ministers. This tube is the most awesome damn force in the whole godless world. And woe is us if it ever falls into the hands of the wrong people. And that's why woe is us that Edward George Ruddy died.
1: Here's the thing, folks. It's, it's not, not so just prescient. It's It is. But it's not just a tube now. We don't have just three or four networks. We don't even have just cable. Now, everybody with a frickin' camera and an internet connection and a YouTube account can play mad prophet of the airwaves like Howard Beale there. Everybody's now curating their life on social media. It's an awesome force. It goes back to what Young Boozer said. It's politics is about power at the end of the day. People fight over power because power corrupts and makes you miss the mark of what you actually got into it for in the first place. And then combine that struggle for power that is timeless and time immemorial to human existence. It's been since Cain and Abel. Combine that now with this sort of mass production, not coming from central authorities, but from all of us. We're doing it ourselves. It's like the printing press, but for the spoken word and for video. It's a technology that's changing our world and we don't even know what it, what what's going on. It's crazy. It's bizarre. And because of that, it's kind of, what a time to be alive. But it also means you need to wake up to how we all play into the system. Now, I mentioned before we hit the break that I think a lot of the populists on the left and the right are playing into the deep state and playing into the elites. How? Well, because it's a, it's a common history. When, what happens when revolutionaries actually succeed most times in hu- human history? They actually overthrow the
2: government. Uh, things get worse. They become the tyrants
1: worse than the tyrants they overthrew. Exactly. They become the elite, the entrenched elite who now has control. And they behave very badly. Cuba, Venezuela, right now the Bolsheviks in Russia. The Germany. czar wasn't great. Yeah, Germany wasn't great. The Weimar Republic with incredible inflation. So you get the jackboot Nazis. Mao's revolution. So just because it's a revolution, that's the whole lesson of uh, Orwell's Animal Farm. The pigs lead this glorious revolution against the farmer and it is glorious but then the pigs start to become more human they start to drink alcohol and sleep in human beds and I think I'm worried I'm not certain I'm not saying it is happening I'm worried whether it's Donald Trump or somebody else trying to overthrow the system the way they get played is they become what they're trying to fight It's the old adage, it's almost cliche, power corrupts. And absolute power corrupts absolutely. But let's for the sake of argument say, Trump really means what he says. And I have to say, for a guy who stretches the truth and he's hyperbolic a lot, he on one metric has been pretty darn good. And that is sticking to what he said he was going to do on the campaign trail. I have to give him that. I don't agree with every part of it, but he said he was going to do these things when he was running, and he's trying to do them. Yeah. So there is that. He hasn't accomplished everything. But I just worry that the populist outrage, the mad as hell not going to take it anymore, I understand where it's coming from to a certain degree, Is the government sucks. This sort of crony rigged system sucks. But is our outrage actually going to fix it? Or is it just going to play right into the system itself? Are we going to become just as bad as what we had before? Or maybe a little different, but not really striking at the root. My solution to a lot of this, if I could be so humble, is to decrease power, at least diffuse it. We have a beautiful system based in classical liberalism. And if we got back to those roots, the cornerstone of what is supposed to be the cornerstone of this republic liberty... And this principle of subsidiarity federalism local control and yes the federal government can still watch out for people's basic liberties and dignities and rights i i think that the, I think it would help a lot i think it would help the polarization <clears throat> there'd still it, be corrupt people there'd be bad local politicians in, and all it's not ever going to be a heaven on earth
2: folks in in theory i would agree with you but somehow the court system has gotten so powerful that you cannot get to that point. You can't, as you could, as a, an owner of a business, you cannot refuse service to someone on religious ground. Right. You will be struck down because you will be yeah. taken out of Colorado over to the Ninth Circuit, and the Ninth Circuit will say you're abusing their religious liberties. You're out of business now. And you have to spend millions of dollars defending yourself, right. or shut your business down. Well, that might still be an issue. But and I, mean, I know that airways are protected, at least for right now, yeah. where Joey can say what Joey or Clay can say what Clay wants to say. We do have freedom and, of speech. But, what's to say at some point that... You're not sued for something that you say or even, God forbid, something that someone else says on your show. It's possible. And, okay, doesn't put you out of business. You got a couple of million dollars to spend on a lawsuit to defend yourself? No, you don't.
1: Well, and the court system's a whole other. You're you're opening up a whole other show.
2: Well, and see that's where And I,
1: I agree. Though the court, well, the court I system's become too powerful, but it's
2: also become way too slow and lethargic. It, it is, but see that's where I think some of the the ideals. What you're saying, yes, I would agree with them a hundred percent, but. You have to deal with what you're dealing with right now. And without doing something about the court system, you can't go to that idealistic place that you're wanting to go to. Well, I
1: think the court system can be changed back to our early part of our conversation.
2: How does that get changed?
1: Well, I think the courts change with the fight over the mind. More than any, add more justices, add more districts or circuits. See,
2: I think that's complete and total BS. How are you going to change? You've got... Just let's take Ruth. how any other pos- how
1: any other dominant
2: legal theory is taken take, over. Let's take take Ruth Bader Ginsburg. Yeah, been all over the news. She is eighty what three years old, yeah. eighty seven or what have very you? Very bad. Health. How in the living world are you going to change an eighty something no, year no, old no. person's I'm, mind? No, I, you're not going to do it. But they are judges, and if they've got a mindset, at, 40 going in, they're going to rule with an iron fist. But you misunderstand me. I didn't say you're going to change somebody's
1: mind tomorrow, and you're not going to change an 80-year-old's mind. But the 80-year-old is going to be making the decisions. But you have to look at the long game. How did that 80-year-old who has those beliefs end up there with those beliefs? Sesame Street. (laughs) Fair enough. (laughs) But you have to start at the root. You have to start creating a culture That's the best way to change the legal system. I mean, there might be some practical reforms, number of courts, the types of courts, these sort of things. Um, But you have
2: to start changing people's minds. Yeah, but now, see, now you're getting into a circular thing, because I understand what you're saying. I know that the, the young people today, they think completely different than even I did 25 years ago when I was a senior in high school, right. they, they are, it, it's, it's, things are so much different. But once you get into the system yeah. and you become a lawyer, right? and just like when you're elected to Congress, like you said, a populist can be elected, but they turn into a globalist right. after they get there. Once you become a lawyer and you get into a law firm, what's going to happen? You're going to get into that system oh, and you're going to adopt. You're going to have to if you're going to keep your job. But it, and You have to be a lawyer to be a judge and then by the time you're a judge, right. then you've completely but it has changed. To, that's what I
1: mean. It has to start from the ground up. I mean, and it will take possibly a generation or two. That's what I'm saying. It means founding schools. It means founding law firms. It means starting publications and propagandizing. I mean, the fight, I think, of the court system is one of hearts and minds. Because I think our tradition is actually pretty sound. The common law tradition is very sound. Our legal system, I think, is very sound in that sense. It's just that I think the federal system, it's a little overbearing right now. And also when I... Yeah, I'm, I'm being kind. Okay. But what I meant by shrinking power at the federal level isn't necessarily courts. It is all these things we're complaining about with the shutdown. I mean, I saw an article about uh, aviation, about you know, air traffic control. There are other countries that have privatized air traffic control. Now, they might have certain legal privileges and have to be certain regulations, obligations. Sure. But they're mostly private self-funding. The airlines don't want to crash into each other and kill people. You know. There's a basic it incentive. It's bad
2: for business. Yeah.
1: <laughs> people don't want to fly on dangerous planes. It's very bad for business. And there's always a new shock to the system. People, I think we had this untouchable thing before 9 11, and we realize we're not that untouchable. The world's changing. But it always comes back to hearts and minds. And I just worry we are too hung up on the political system rather than really looking at our neighbors and at potential mass audiences. Could be the person next door. Or it could be a million people watching your show. Or it could
2: just be a few hundred. But you have to start changing hearts and minds. And and I I think you do have a point there. I've seen that with race relations. Yeah. Just in my lifetime, it went from forced yeah. to segregation. I was that happened right before I started school. Right, and now it, it's voluntary. And segregation. now it's <laughs> yeah, it is. But, but no, it really has it, been uh, sadly. Yeah. And it's it's not. You know, at one time it was odd if you were sitting at church. And I'll just be honest about it. If you're sitting at church and a black person walked in to a church, I was at. I didn't feel any different, but it was something you noticed, and you would look at and go, Well, that's different. Wow, there's a black guy here, or, you know, a black lady is here at right. church. You noticed it. Now, it's just like when you see a, a mixed-race couple, a yeah. black and a white couple, it's you good. know. And, and hearts and minds don't, have been changed. Yeah. You don't pay attention to it. Uh, in 1991, you would turn your head and go, yeah. Wow, you know, that's a black woman and a white guy. Yeah. Huh. That's weird. They're holding hands, and now it's just yeah, whatever. So I mean, things can change, but when you get into something like the law, though, Joey, once you put that dang robe on, and you're sitting on the Seventh Circuit, Ninth Circuit, First Circuit, whatever circuit, and a case comes before you, and you got that gavel oh, in your right. hand, oh,
1: it goes to your head. It can easily go to your head,
2: and you can, and yeah. you you can rule. And you can, you can say, you're thinking to yourself, now I know I should just say dismiss it back to the state this come from, let Georgia decide what they want to do with this case. Or, or, I can pound <laughs> my gavel, yeah. and I can set a precedent that impacts the entire United States of right. America, and my name forever will live on in law books that this is the, you know, sharp ruling and, uh, well, according to, uh, you know, Clemens versus Smith, sharp rule that this is it, and that's the precedent, and yep. that's what we must go by, and you will live in, I mean, forever. you That's that power well, that and you, you were But you're preaching about.
1: to the choir. Exactly. I, I know I am, but how do I you under- change that mind? Because if you generally start talking about changing hearts and minds, not winning a political contest and not trying to win an argument, like point scoring, like you're sparring, but you're really trying to change hearts and minds and understand the world and what works basically for people, if you try to change the world outside of politics, and you realize maybe that's hubris too, maybe I change my street, maybe I change my city the best I can, maybe I change my family or myself, once you adopt that mindset, what tends to happen is you stop being so certain about what exactly the world needs you not, I, and Let me be clear You're not losing your certainty About what's wise What's basically morally right But the practical application Of those principles You start to step back and go "Hmm." If I'm so open to trying to persuade people To what I feel passionately about What is right Maybe that person who also adopts that pose Of changing hearts and minds And not winning a po- political contest Will change my mind it opens up the conversation to one more persuasion and freedom. And the number one principle, and it, the, world is, the word has been bastardized by the new left, in my opinion, but the original principle of tolerance, religious tolerance, was really the founding principle of classical liberalism, that people of different denominations within Christianity and other religions can, as long as they accept that tolerance, live Peacefully. It might not be that they're always going to the same church together, but they're not going to be trying to force one another to believe certain things. Yeah, you're not going to be hanging them or beheading them. And, And once you, if you can develop an actual tolerance, not a fake multicultural thing that is really just a way of looking at ideas and sort of bastardizing, you know, you're the oppressor, I'm the oppressed. No, I mean like actual tolerance. Like they're different than me, but as long as they don't hurt me or pick my pocket, all right, I might like them, but. I'll tolerate mm-hmm. them. Yeah, they, I, It changes a lot. And if we can apply that principle to a lot of things in society, it will do wonders. And it may take a generation or two. And maybe we don't have that much time. But as long as we think we have to change the world and fix the world by playing into a system that got us here, it has become more and more centralized and, in my opinion, more and more corrupt and more and more about holding that power and making those big rulings like you said... Yeah. If we keep playing into that, I think, as Howard Beale says, we're in a lot of trouble. Yeah, well, I think we are in a lot of trouble. Mm-hmm. Well, and I just, I don't like, it's something my dad said, you, you should write something, Joey, about the politics of resentment. And he was talking about the left. He's a good Republican business owner. And I said, yeah, I, I, I know all about the left, but have you listened to yourself lately, Dad? And that wasn't like sworn points. I was being serious with him and he actually took it to heart. Yeah. There's a lot of resentment out in the country and it's not the correct thing. And it's on both sides. It's, yeah. and it's not even a partisan thing. It is this feeling that power can't is being misused, but if I only had the power, I would use it correctly. No, the tyrant in you is the tyrant in me. We have to more ask ourselves Hey, there's there's, where's there's the liberty. There's
2: even